0: My Chris, I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and I'm so thankful that you are here today. Uh, thankful for those of you joining us at home online, and uh, I'm thankful for the time that we just spend in worship, uh, just the sweetness and uh, great power as we uh, lift up the name of Jesus. We, uh, this morning, I came in and was praying right here and read this passage of scripture, and it's from Psalm 130. And it says, "Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness." continues by saying, "I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word, I put my hope." And so this morning, as we just saying that, we put our hope in something that's living being Jesus. The, the life-giving reality of the word, we find our hope there. And this isn't wishful thinking, this is, this is confident expectation, as I just say so many times when we talk about hope. And so today, wherever you're coming from, whatever you've been through, whatever you're carrying with you, that today we would come open-handed, that we would come just saying, all right, God, do whatever you have to do, spirit move in whatever way you have to move, whatever it is, um, to be open to that. So I invite you today to turn to John chapter 9. We continue in our series, Elephants. Uh, we're on week, I don't even know what the week is right now. Uh, we're on week something, and uh, and we continue this on. I think we have about two more weeks after this, so I would say we're in week five then. Um, and uh, we are, have been looking at a number of different topics, doing the best to come from a scriptural uh, basis and talk about things that matter to us. And today, uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be something that um, I pray that it impacts you personally personally and if not you personally, in a way that it overflows into others. And so John chapter 9, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, this is a passage that is really ministered to me, really um, helps me walk through a, a difficult time in life. And uh, this is what it says. It says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, and he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man went and washed, and he came home seeing So we see a situation where the disciples are walking along and they see someone struggling with something. And they want to have a theological conversation. They want to say, why did that happen to him? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? It has to be someone's sin. Someone did wrong to cause this suffering in his life. Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's something more going on. And I want you today, as we walk through this, to have that in the back of your mind of there's something more going on. There's something more going on in your story, the story of a loved one, the story of a friend, the story of people around you. There's something more going on. Last week I read a study from the American Psychological Association. I do not read many studies from there, uh, but this week I read one from there, from Dr. Jean Twinge, and she said this. She said, we live in what is called an age of anxiety. What do you think of that? An age of anxiety. And she said there's two primary reasons that she points to for this age of anxiety. First, low social connectivity. She said factors like higher divorce rates, lack of trust in others, and an increased individualism of I can do it on my own has really disconnected us from other human beings. The second thing she said is that there's high environmental threat. Violent crime, worry of nuclear war, fear of diseases, increased media coverage, covering everything possible out there. And she said, because of this age of anxiety, the anxiety stirs within us because we're not connected to other people. We have these environmental concerns around us of like, what if war breaks out? What about violence around us? What Can I really trust these people? And she said, this all builds and there's this anxiety that stirs and it leads to depression. And often depression can lead to more anxiety and that can move to alcoholism and drug abuse, she points to. And she said, ultimately, higher mortality rates for those who are walking through this. She said, until people feel both safe and connected to other people, anxiety is likely to remain high. Can you relate? And one thing I did not tell you that this study was released in the year 2000, 22 years ago, she said this. And here we are 22 years later, still in this trajectory of building anxiety, can you feel it around you? We walk through life and we experience highs and lows. We experience emotions and sometimes we just fully engage those emotions, other times we just suppress them. I am a stuffer. Hi, my name is Chris and I am a stuffer. And what I mean by that is when emotions come, I'm not having high highs and low lows, I'm just kinda like, here's the emotion. And I've done that most of my life. But it wasn't until about four or five years ago when I realized that it was super unhealthy for me to continue to do this. Because what would happen is it's it's like this balloon, right? Something would happen. Something else would happen. Something else would happen. Something else would happen. And I got to this point of like, you know what it's gonna take? It's gonna take just a pin right on the edge of this, popping this. For this to impact my life, and my family's life, and your life, and this pin just felt like it was getting closer and closer and closer. And not only did I have that anxiety about the pin, you too are having the anxiety about the pin right now too, right? Right, you're like, please don't pop that balloon. I won't pop the balloon, you can just relax. So, it wasn't because Joanna didn't give me chances to share with her, because she did. I've always had a couple friends who checked in with me and asked me how I was really doing. They checked in. But I just kept it, because this is like, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want anyone to see what's really going on. You know, like, can I really be honest? And so I started talking to a counselor. <clears throat> a counselor. And, and just slowly, as I talked, there's these, just the air started releasing out. And this counselor's still on call. So if I need something, I can call him. But the thing is, is like life can build again, right? And not only was it just that building, there's something new that came about this summer and uh, as I was sharing with Joanna, even this weekend, it was called anxiety. And anxiety is different because what happens is instead of this slow filling, it's just this like, <laughs> it inflates really quick, right? And then it just sits. And then it'll release. And then it'll come again, and it'll inflate, and then it'll release. It'll inflate, and it'll release. Or it'll inflate for a really long time, and then it'll release. Or maybe you're here today, and your balloon is just full, and you've been carrying that for years. You may be looking at me saying, um, Chris, you're Christian, and you're a pastor, and you have a counselor? Yep. You let things really fill up quite full and it almost popped? Yep. You struggle with anxiety at times? Yep. And maybe you can relate because maybe you've dealt with anxiety or depression or burnout or uh, panic attacks or whatever it may be. And you've had someone come along and say, well, if you only prayed more, if you only had more faith, if you only read scripture more, if you really trusted Jesus and loved Jesus, then you wouldn't be dealing with this. If Maybe there's sin in your life want to say that mental health is a highly stigmatized topic in the church. It's an elephant in the room. It's something that's here, but we don't want to talk about it publicly. See, this is beyond like just feeling sad or emotional. This is a condition which causes a serious disorder in a person's behavior or thinking. It can debilitate change or harm a life. Anxiety, depression, extreme despair, suicidal ideations can be really hard to understand if you're going through it and definitely if you're around someone walking through these seasons. But does a struggle in these areas mean that something's wrong with your faith? No. Not unless we want to dismiss Scripture. And this is what I mean. I want us to consider people in Scripture who battled these things. Let's let's throw this list up here, Johnny. Let's start with Jesus, all right? Jesus was overcome with sorrow. This doesn't mean like he felt sad, or he felt sad. He was overcome with sorrow, so much so that he sweat blood. Paul. Paul had all sorts of conflicts and fears that there's a passage that says that he held within the psalmists frequently express their deepest sorrow and angst and fears. Elijah, he battles the prophets of Baal, this huge move of God, and then he gets alone right after that and he says, I wanna die. David defeats Goliath, has these great movements and he finds himself in despair, thinking that God has abandoned him. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jonah's wife, or not Jonah, excuse me, Job's wife said, hey, look at your situation. It's so bad, you need to curse God and die. Go kill yourself. And Jonah, at least twice, when God didn't do what he thought God should do, he too wanted to kill himself. Let me be as clear as I possibly can today. God is concerned about your mental health. He's concerned about your well-being. God cares, and Scripture speaks to that. Or to quote Jesus... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. We so often focus on the heart and the soul, which is super important, but so is the mind. Mental health can include different types of well-being, like emotional well-being, so the way we feel, psychological well-being, the way we think, and relational well-being, social well-being, the way we relate to one another. And Jesus cares about the way we feel and think and relate. It's why just about every week in here, we've been talking about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ, as Paul said. Or that we're to have the mind of Christ. This is important for us to feel, to think, and to relate well as a follower of Jesus. To fix our thoughts on God, allowing him to transform and renew our mind. So let's return to John chapter nine, which we started with. John chapter nine says this. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind, born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So again, he, they were more curious about the why than any desire to help. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In this case, Jesus is making it really clear that it was not his fault nor his parents' fault that this happened. Now, we need to be honest as as followers of Jesus. If there's sin in our life that we've committed, we need to confess that. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to repent from that. There's realities in there. In the same way, if someone has sinned against you, you need to be honest with that, with someone that you know and trust and find help in that way. So there's sin that we've committed and there's sin that's been committed against us we need to be honest about that. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, this is not the result of that. This is not it. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him, verse 3 says. Now, if we look at this, and we even apply this to our own situations, this is really not satisfactory. Like, he's blind. He had to suffer his entire life so that God's work could be done in him. So does that mean, Chris, that you're saying, what I've gone through, what I've experienced, that's like some sick type of thing that God's doing, using me so he can be glorified? Well, if you read into it that way, you can take it that way. But listen, God did not cause the blindness, nor did he desire for your situation to unfold, the brokenness. God's original plan is found in the garden, this relationship with him, this perfection, this purity, this beauty. But sin broke that all apart, and we deal with that in our age of anxiety. See, Jesus never said God caused it, but Jesus reminds the disciples and reminds us that God is gonna work through it. So how is God gonna work through this blindness? How is God gonna work through your situation? How is God gonna work through this like balloon of anxiety that blows up in me every once in a while? How is God gonna use that? For this man, it would be healing, but maybe that's not your story or my story. Maybe God wants to, Speak into endurance, or what does it mean to have joy and suffering? What does he want to refine in us? Jesus is saying this is not a theological conversation. This is an opportunity to help and, and to have God's glory shown. Verse four says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Jesus is saying, let's go to work. I'm here, I'm gonna work in this person's life. And for you, I think God is constantly saying, let me work in this situation. Let me work in this hardship. Let me work in this thing that you've kept for so long. Let me work. Let it have light. Charles Spurgeon said this years ago. Whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire how he came there, but to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here is an occasion for the display of the grace and the goodness of God. Here's an opportunity for God to work. We're all opportunities, personally and those around us. God wants to shine through our lives. Not too long ago, there was a a radio clip that someone shared with me, and, and I want you to listen to this here this morning. So would you take a listen to this radio clip?
1: woman is has critical thoughts of herself eight times a day and Misty and Sally said that's all are you sure? That's just getting started. Yeah, I mean, it's a real issue, an issue for men and women. So we're wondering, how do you counteract it? How has God helped you with this? Stacy's with us. Tell us what you do.
2: Deeply depressed for the last about five years or so. And so it ended up getting me in the hospital last summer. And so for the past year, I've been working really hard on the negative self-talk and this unworthiness, something I learned to counteract with that is to definitely take those negative thoughts and say those are definitely from the enemy
1: to identify them
2: Yes, yeah. to say that this is not truth at all, and to say instead, I am loved, I am capable, I am worthy, and to put scripture with it, instead of letting those emotions and those lies be truth. They still creep in, of course. Sure.
1: You know, I just realized what you're doing. What's that? You're taking every thought captive.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, you
1: know, when, when a thought, which, by the way, is really hard to do, because it is. It's it's seems like a natural thought pattern when these things come into your mind but what you're doing is identifying where it came from yeah and then you're countering it right away saying oh no no no. Yep. no this is what god says about me instead absolutely yeah for me it's like a big old pity party you know i don't measure up i just what do you think you're doing
2: oh yeah absolutely i can definitely feel those pity party moments where i'm just, mm-hmm. just gonna sit here and wallow and just be yeah. sad instead of reminding myself that i am a child of Of God, and that Mm -hmm. God has given me a purpose for this life, and I need to move forward and continue to show Jesus to people, and I need to quit giving myself this negative talk. Wow. That's good.
1: To me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To me. And to me. Oh, that is
1: good stuff. All right, I'm going to collect an offering. (laughs) (laughs) The average person.
0: Do you recognize that voice? you recognize that voice? That voice on the radio is Stacy, and I'm so thankful that you're with us, Stacy. Let's welcome Stacy here this morning. Stacy, I uh, thank you in first service. Thank you again. I sincerely am so grateful that you are here with me today and, uh, and sharing your story, because uh, it's important for us um, to share our stories and uh, share what impacts us. Uh, in the, the radio clip, you mentioned that uh, for five years you were deeply depressed. Um, could you take a moment and explain a little bit of like what was what was going on in your body, what was going on around you uh, in that season, those five years?
3: So it all happened around the time that my second daughter was born, about 2016. I became a stay-at-home mom. It was my dream. I had always wanted to be home with my babies. But something changed in me that um, worldly identity was gone. I was no longer a teacher. I was no longer bringing in income. I felt like I lost my value um, in life. I was very low on myself. I had low self-esteem, low self-image. I felt like I wasn't a good mom, a good wife. I hated cooking, hated cleaning. I was a terrible housekeeper. Um, my anxiety was high. Um, I had had high anxiety for a while and I hated to be a failure, hated making mistakes. And so as those things crept up, my depression increased because they kind of go hand in hand. As soon as anxiety gets high, your depression tends to get high Um, because you can creep into that depression. And so I just fell deeply into depression. I felt like I was a failure. Um, I couldn't live up to being a good mom, a good wife, a good friend, and I hid it from everybody. I could go to church. I could put on that mask. I could say I was a great person, but inside I was falling apart. Um, I would look at everybody else and think, they're doing amazing. They're, oh, my gosh, they're a great mom. They have great kids. Um, what an amazing wife they are. They have everything together, and I am a mess. I pulled away from my husband. I just felt like he didn't understand what was going on, and so it just felt like um, I, couldn't, I wasn't good enough for him, and I wasn't good enough for my two babies either.
0: Yeah, and so those lies were cycling within you, and something interesting that you say is that, you know, you looked around, and you saw... Out here, which I hear this quite often, is everyone looks like their life is perfect out here, and uh, and you too. People probably looked at you saying, "Her life looks perfect. Look at those girls. Look at her husband. Look at that." It just it's we all carry this mask. But you, like you said, these things were just going on and cycling and, and turning within you. And so not only did you have those five years of depression where you're walking through that season, um, there was that was also building on something that you know previous seasons of of life there is there's a number of factors. I mean, like, would you explain a little bit of like what you were carrying um, going into that depression? So when I
3: was about eight, nine years old, I had a childhood trauma that I'm not gonna go into today, but it definitely affected my life in a huge way. Um, it caused me to feel unimportant. It caused me to feel low on myself, um, dependent on others. Um, And just extremely low, no confidence, no um, good self-esteem, nothing. And that caused a lot of triggers for me. So anytime something would happen in my life, um, whether it be a new situation, um, going somewhere new or um, a test day or the mood of the, the room would change or somebody would get angry um, I would tense up. My body would physically tense. My adrenaline would rush. Um, I My heart would race. My whole body would just change. Um, and that happened for a very long time, and it just continued to build up even before I became a wife and a mother, and I just felt like um, I, I wasn't strong enough as a person even back then, even before I became a mom, and yet I was a Christian. I had been a Christian my whole life, but yet something seemed to be missing even then. Um, I went to church every Sunday, but I put on that mask because I was just hiding it from everybody. I was just holding it in, thinking, um, there's shame in that. I felt like there was shame for feeling that way. And so I didn't want anybody to see that. Just hold it in. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it, a, keep it away.
0: And that's the, the challenge with trauma. We've used the word trauma a couple of times is those are wounds that we just can't see. Um, in first service, I mentioned this is that when I was a teenager, uh, I had a kneeboarding accident and it hit me in the face and there's a little scar there. So every time I look at that scar, I remember uh, that, that kneeboarding accident that day and, uh, but trauma is something underneath that uh, we have these experiences, and so we, we keep that within. And uh, Stacy and I were talking this week is about different types of trauma, this acute trauma, like a one-time situation. So maybe you were in a car accident and there's a certain intersection or um, uh, something about driving that, that is uh, a trigger with that, or something chronic, something that happened long-term, uh, is something like sexual abuse or racism or bullying where it's this continual reality that goes on. Um, And then there's complex trauma, where it's both the chronic of the ongoing and then a number of different acute situations that have happened that is complex. And there's, so there's these layers that are there. And as you explained, it's like different things would set this off. And so, you know, for 30 years, you, you carried this, right? And then the beautiful year of 2020 comes along and COVID and everything. And uh, can you explain a little bit about what was happening in your life and your heart and your mind in 2020 when covid came along?
3: So obviously when covid came along it affected everybody. There's no doubt about that. Um, I the loneliness was really hard for me. It caused me to feel more of that I am not worthy. Um, I'm not valued by others because I wasn't with people anymore. That disconnect of everything, um, again, that comparison of, of um, motherhood with other mothers of what they were doing and what life was looking like, um, and then it came to the point of my children were coming of the age of I of the age that I was when I had my trauma. My daughter was seven and I was eight when my trauma happened. Masks were an issue. Child trafficking became an issue, where people were making it very known, and everything blew up. I was at Lori Craft's house one day doing some stuff with her, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be a mom. I can't be a wife. I can't do this. I don't know what's going on. I can't handle this. This is too much for me. I'm not good enough. And I, I lost it. And she looked at me and she said, Stacy, I can't help you anymore. You need you need somebody else to help you. And so I saw a therapist at that time. And so we started working through some of the issues. We were going through some of the trauma from my life and trying to work through what was happening. And um, unfortunately, she wasn't the right fit. And, and you find that, that you try, and that's not the right person for you. And I remember one of... Chris's sermons was about um, the, the man on the mat that had been sitting there for 38 years. I was 38 at the time, and I thought, you need to get up off your mat and do something. And I said that to my therapist, and she thought, geez, it's like you're going to a different therapist. Why are you listening to that? And I thought, wow, I'm done with you. I'm moving on, and I'm going to do this on my own. But I found that on my own was not what I needed, because later that year, after trying to do medications on my own with my doctor and trying to do things to help my depression and get out of it, later in 2021, at the end of August, I had a great day with my husband. It was a a beautiful day. We were working at our shop, and I thought, this is perfect, this is beautiful. And um, I left there and went to go back home all of a sudden, it said, my mind said to me, you're going back to reality, and reality sucks right now. And the first thought that came to my mind was the code to my gun safe. And all I could see was the whole process from beginning to end. And I thought, this is the end. This is the end. Why? Why? why is this the end, why, how did I get here, why me, how, how is my life so terrible, I've got a family, I've got people that love me, why do I feel like I should end my life, and it scared me because it was so vivid. I could see the whole thing, and it, it paralyzed me for the whole week. That was on Sunday, and the rest of the week, I could see that all week long. And I told Jerry about it, and I said, um, I think I need you to do something different with the safe, because I'm a sleepwalker, or I used to be, and I'm afraid that that could happen in the middle of the night, and that would be the end of my life. Um, and I even woke up in the middle of the night and thought, I need to call my mom. Maybe we need to go to the hospital and get this plan taken care of. But I thought, nope, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. It'll be okay. I'll just pray about this and, and go back to sleep, and it'll be okay. But all week, paralyzed me. I'd be at home. I couldn't handle it. I'd call a friend, try to calm me down. And by Thursday, I finally called Lori Craft, and I said, I can't do this. I know he's changed the gun safe, but my mind can't stop. She said, it's enough. It's enough. I'm coming to get you. We're going to the hospital. We're going to get help. So we came up here to the hospital, and they said, you're staying. And I wept. I wept. I said, why? Why I mean. How had I gotten to that point that I was in the hospital, the place where everybody thinks it's a terrible place to be? Everybody says, oh, you go to the hospital, that's a bad place to go. You know, it's such a terrible place. Why do I have to stay here? Now I have to leave my family. What, what are they going to do? But I thought, okay, I guess I got to do it. I don't have a choice. I got to do it. And I'll tell you what, I stayed there for 12 days, and it was the best 12 days of my life. Isn't that ironic? Because I found that the people there were just like me. They were anxious. They were depressed. They had no hope. They just needed help. They needed a different medication plan. They needed somebody to listen. They needed a therapist. They needed help. And that's that's all they needed. And I was able to laugh again, and I was able to see that there is hope. There is help. There are people that want That want to be there for you and I had to get out of that pit and I had to say let's do something different.
0: And I told you this week and um, of how proud uh, I was of you then and uh, am of you now for being honest about what you were going through with Jerry, with Lori, with others Um, and that takes a lot for us to be honest and but proud of of how you received that help too, that you were willing to do that. You mentioned the word shame earlier, and that's something that keeps us down. Is is shame? Is that what if someone really knows what's going on? What if, what if I am completely honest about what I'm processing? And it's this lie of the enemy who's trying to kill and steal and destroy, this lie keeping you away. Um, first you know, as we walk through this progression, the the, the anxiety, the depression, um, the, the lie of not getting help, the lie of trying to take your life, the, you know, all these different things. And it was this shame along the way that just kept you hidden, but you kept opening yourself up and just so proud of, of you for doing that. And um, and, and I want to tell you too, is that I was sharing with someone recently, is how, how much respect I have for those of you who um, reach out for help, whether it's from me or from others. Many of you have come into my office and shared something, and And I've told many of you as you walked away, I I just respect you so much for sharing that with me, for being honest and transparent, um, for willing to take that step forward. And that's the same thing, the respect has grown for you as uh, you know, over, it was there before, but even more so, um, you know, that that you were honest with that. So you mentioned these 12 days being the best days um, and really having really light illuminating darkness. I mean, that's really what was happening. Scripture has really you've told me many times how scripture has really illuminated brought light into darkness, and how that continues to be strength for you how how so and what are those uh, some of those passages
3: so um as soon as I got out of the hospital, I was set up with um, a therapist that um She wasn't a Christian therapist, but she is a Christian, which was a blessing to me. And she just said to me, I want you to dig into some scripture. I want you to find some ways um, to work through your healing. And so she told me first to start with forgiveness. You need to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for these things that you're holding on to, these guilt and shame that you're saying that you're holding on to. And one of the verses that I had found at the time was Psalm 130. 133 it says direct my footsteps according to your word let no sin rule over you let no sin hold on to you let it go and and I had to learn that all this trauma all these shame all these things that I'm holding on to this unworthiness that was something I had to let go of um don't let it hold on to you let it go um Romans 4, 7 to 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So, yeah, I had to work through all of those verses, and every week she would give me a different one. Let's go through grace. Let's go through love. You need to love yourself again. You need to trust. My favorite verses are be still and know that I am the Lord be strong and courageous. And my favorite of all is the one that says for, oh, hold on. I want to say it correctly because I don't want to say it wrong. <laughs> I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made because God created me for a purpose. He gave me a reason to be here and I shouldn't sit in that depression. Oh, of course it's still going to come. I actually just had it this past week. Something happened with my medication, and it, it got a little wonky, and I had to work through it. I had to deal with it again. So it's not always going to be roses, but I, I still, I just have to work through it. But I have a plan, and I know what to do, and I know when to ask for help. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, and I want you to hear that too, is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Um, that your life is valuable. And, and I love the passages you were just saying because it's not like try harder types of passages, it's really surrender. And I think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's be honest about our weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I mean, that's what you're doing here today, that's what you've done before, is like, hey, this is, this is what's going on in me. Now Christ's power, fill me. So that I walk in that. And that, like you said, it doesn't mean that it's going to be rosy and perfect the, from here on out. There'll be challenges. There'll be attacks. There'll be hardship with that. And we need to be reminded with those passages, be reminded that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, that he's our light and salvation, that he's close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed, that he is your shepherd. And uh, you know, we talked about trauma up here and things that have happened. Trauma may or may not be your fault. Uh, but the point is, is that it's our responsibility to turn and to lean into Jesus, right? Is that um, no matter what that past is, we lean into Jesus. Whatever decisions have been made, you've made or others have made, we lean into Jesus. And I want to encourage you with that today. And as Paul said in Philippians 4, this is one of yours that I, I saw in there earlier, is not to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition to offer your request to God, uh, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so when that anxiety or depression or whatever it comes upon us, it's this, this renewing our mind, returning to God and, and doing that. And so, so yes, it's prayer. Yes, it's gratitude, but it's also asking for help. And when I asked Stacy, I said, what's, what's a big message you want to be able to share? Is that don't be ashamed to ask for help. Ask for help. And maybe that's some of the pastoral staff. Maybe that's going to be some of the prayer team that's going to gather here afterwards at service. Maybe that's some of the Stephen ministers who will be out in the lobbies with lanyards on that can help walk and point you towards God and, and process this with you. Uh, but maybe it's someone outside of here, a counselor, a therapist. Um, maybe for you it's the hospital, whatever it may be. Um, let someone know what's going on inside of you. Let someone know what you're processing. Don't hide it, don't allow shame and fear to keep you um, from allowing God to really work through your story. Just like the blind man, like Stacy, is that God, God is sharing hope through you. And, uh, and I'm super proud of you for being here today and sharing your story. And so uh, I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for everyone. But would you thank Stacy for, for sharing her story here this morning? Let's, let's all stand and uh, and let's pray. We're going to pray for Stacy, but we're praying for you as well as we walk through this. Lord Jesus, gracious God, merciful Father, Lord, you are so good. And we're so thankful that you work, um, God, through the brokenness in this world, through uh, the pain, through the suffering, through the hardship, through anxiety, through depression, through suicidal thoughts, through whatever has got a grip on us that the enemy's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Lord Jesus, we pray today in Jesus' name for freedom for hope, for healing. And Father, I pray, God, for honesty and openness, which was just demonstrated here today. Um, Lord Jesus, that you would minister in a mighty way to each man, woman, teenager, child that's in here. Uh, Lord, that we would be honest with one another and honest with you. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, for hope to fill us. God, your light to fill us. And Lord, we are so thankful that you love us and you're not finished with us. You're not finished with us. Um, and, uh, and just as Elsie um, said earlier, what the jailer said, um, is not to harm yourself. We're here. We're here, and so let us be a church. Let us be a body that cares for one another. We're here, and uh, Lord, we love you. We pray your blessing, your peace, um, God, your wholeness that comes only by your spirit. We pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. As I just said, I'm going to ask the prayer team, anyone that's here, to come stand up here. Uh, Stella's up here. Um, Any other prayer team members that are here? Um, Lori's coming. They're going to be up here. Uh, Stephen ministers are going to be out there. John's here. Andrew's here. Good. Um, So come get prayer. Whether you feel like it's something small, whether you feel like it's something large, um, come get prayer. Connect with someone. And even this week, if you're like, ah, I should have talked to someone, um, let us know. Um, There's also a care button on our main webpage Uh, It's a purple button. You can click on that and that'll connect you with some different resources. So may the Lord bless you and keep you as you go from this place. Thanks for being here today. God bless you.